I want you to open your Bible over to Romans chapter 5. Experiencing peace in days of turmoil. Experiencing peace in days of turmoil. It has been a very stressful year for many people. We're still dealing, of course, with COVID-19. We've had a, a few ourselves in our church, not me personally, but others who have gotten COVID-19. They're dealing with it properly, navigating through it. Some it's taking a long time. It's been brutal for them. Others, not so much. But uh, these things happen. They will continue to happen for the time being. We wish that we could all just say, well, go away and it's gone. But it's not that way. We are more and more isolated with each other, which creates its own problems, doesn't it? Keeping everybody away from each other. We are polarized in our nation and are becoming more and more violent in our nation. And if it doesn't stop, we could end up having an active civil war now, or a hot, let me put it this way, a hot civil war. Now, what do I mean by that? Well, I kind of think we're in a cold civil war already. Our nation is divided. We are split as a nation, and there's a lot of hostility in the different mindsets that people have. When I say a hot civil war, I'm talking about one that actually escalates to the point to where you literally have the two polarized parts in many ways in our nation coming at each other with absolute violence like we did back in Abraham Lincoln's day. What can you do about it? Well, the power of the press will do all it can to keep you from being heard, even if you do have a solution. That's something in itself, isn't it? To see that, to see the power of uh, a big tech being able to uh, censor people, which is a, a frontal attack on our rights as Americans. But this is going on. We know it's going on. So what can you do about it? Well, most of us really can do nothing about it on the surface. You really can't. Most of us are not lawyers. Most of us are not politicians. Most of us are not in any kind of law enforcement, whether local or federal in nature. So what can you do about it? You, know, you can say, well, I'm, I'm hot. I'm fed up. I know what I can do about it. I'll, I'll call into a talk show and I'll voice my opinion. There, that took care of all the nation's problems. You know, here's the truth of it, folks. I hate to tell us, most people don't care what you think. So let's quit thinking so highly of ourselves because it really doesn't. See, what we need is we need actual things that work, solutions that work. And the only one who has solutions that work is God. He's the only one. And by the way, that ought to be obvious to all of us at this point. Now, by the way, let me say this on the front end today. That doesn't mean we shouldn't be voting. That doesn't mean, you know, if God wants you to be active uh, uh, politically or something like that. What it does simply mean is this. Do not look to man for solutions. Man has no solutions. The only one who has the solutions is God himself. Specifically, what can we as believers do? God has solutions, but it's up to man to apply the solutions God has given. And unfortunately, man doesn't have a very good track record of doing that. Those solutions, though, are constant truths over all ages and all trials. Can I say that again? The solutions of God are constant truths over all ages and over 
all trials that may come our way. So the solutions God has are the best solutions. And these are the things we need to embrace and apply. Okay? Now the Bible gives us clear answers about what will bring peace into our lives. We're talking, of course, experiencing peace in days of turmoil, and that's where we find ourselves. There are two aspects of peace I want to focus on this morning. The first one is inner peace, okay, inner peace, and that is on a personal level, okay, inner peace. This is the most important of all. It is not dependent on outward circumstances, good or bad. It is an inner peace that God wants us to have, all people to have. And this will go a long way. As a matter of fact, it's the only thing that will help us navigate through not only this time, but the future time that we have left. So what about this issue of inner peace? Well, the first aspect of this is simply this. We need... And you need to put your faith in Jesus Christ as your Savior. You might say, oh, pastor, that's just fun. We all know that. We all know that. Friend, not everybody does know it, though. We have a world of people who are ignorant to the truth of what does that mean. Listen, when we talk about putting our faith in Jesus Christ as Savior, we're not talking about committing yourself to be a religious person. And if we just get religious, that'll solve the problems. No, that'll solve very little. You need to put your faith in Jesus Christ as your personal savior. Even if our world is peaceful, the truth of it is this, all of us are gonna die one day. And so if some politician brought peace into our nation, we would all rejoice with that, we would love that. But the truth of it is, everybody's gonna keep dying. And friend, then what? We have to get the eternal question settled first. And that's through faith in Jesus Christ. Romans chapter five, Paul has been talking in the first four chapters about this issue that we are sinners. We are separated from God. We stand guilty before God. We need a payment for our sin. If we die with our sin, we're gonna be lost forever in a literal hell, conscious torment. But yet God provided in his love, he provided for us the way to heaven, the way to not only escape hell, but have a home in heaven guaranteed. And we find it here in Romans chapter five. And it says in verse one, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. There it is, peace. Therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Justified, it means declared righteous. God is the one who makes that declaration. When? When we see our need as sinners, lost, and we understand there's nothing we can do to save ourselves. And then we understand that Jesus came into the world and went to the cross to make a payment for our sin. We use the illustration often, but let me show it to you at this point today. This was you and me, and my wallet represents our sin. We're all sinners. This is, this is the message of the book of Romans, okay? We're all sinners. God loves us, but he hates our sin. For you to go to heaven, you have to have all your sins gone. Yet none of us are without sin. We're all sinners. But the sin has to be paid for if we're gonna get into heaven. See, heaven is a perfect place. You can't get into heaven with even one sin. Sin separates us from God. And God says in his word that if we die with our sin, we are gonna be lost forever in hell. This is the truth of scripture. The wages of sin is death. 
separation from God for all eternity. Now, religion teaches that your good works will take away sin, but there's not a verse in the Bible that teaches that. Man has made that up, that if you want to go to heaven, be good. Try to be good. Try to behave. Try to reform your life. Turn from all your sins. Give money. Get baptized. Keep the commandments. On and on and on. But the scriptures are clear. Matter of fact, these are our key verses up here. What does it say? For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It's not of works, not of works, lest any man should boast. See, there's nothing we could do to save ourselves. That's why God himself took on flesh, this hand representing the Lord Jesus Christ. And when Jesus went to the cross, he took our sin upon himself, your sin, my sin. He took it and he made the payment so that we don't have to. And he suffered, he died, and he rose from the grave. And he says, if you will believe, put your faith in him that he made that payment for you and he paid for your sin. The moment you do, he will give you everlasting life the moment you put your faith in him. The Bible says he'll never lose you. He'll never cast you out. You have everlasting life. How long is that? It's forever. It's forever. And so when we put our faith in Christ, God looks at us and he says, I declare you as righteous. That's what the word justified means. Notice this, therefore being justified by faith, we have peace with God. Peace with God is more important than peace in the world because this is something that is eternal. This is something that's going to last forever. Peace with God, how? It's through our Lord Jesus Christ and the payment he made. Look down to verse eight. It says, but God commendeth or displayed his love towards us in that, notice the next words, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God does not say, God does not say, if you reform your life, I'll consider saving you, okay? You notice it says, God commended, displayed his love towards us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Jesus came because we could not save ourselves. We could not do it. And so he died for us. The word for is an important word. It means he did it for us in our place. He was our substitute. Jesus died so we don't have to. That's the point. And so let me ask you a question today. Have you put your faith in Jesus Christ, the Savior? You might say, yes, I have. Then you have peace with God. But can I ask you this? Are you experiencing the peace of God? You might say, how do you do that? Well, that's the second aspect of this. We need to not only put our faith in Jesus Christ, the Savior, but secondly, we need to walk by faith in Jesus Christ, to walk by faith. Now, listen, folks, walking by faith is not walking by feeling. People confuse that today. They'll say, well, I'm, I'm walking by faith. Why? Well, I just feel good. I feel close to God. And so as long as I have this good feeling, I know everything is, is right. No, friend, you don't live by your feelings. We live by faith, which is trust in Jesus Christ. Just like we trusted him to get us to heaven, we need to trust him every day, moment by moment as we live this life. Our eyes, when we put our faith in him, our faith was in him. Our eyes were on him and what he did for us. We are to live our lives with our eyes on Jesus Christ. Okay? Now think about what I just said. 
We are to live with our eyes on Jesus Christ. That means they're supposed to be on him and they're not supposed to be watching four hours of news every night. No wonder we're in turmoil. Once we've trusted Christ the Savior, see, we receive the Holy Spirit of God. God the Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. He comes to live within us as believers. The Lord wants us to live our lives looking to him to lead us and to guide us and to provide for us. This is at the core of the Christian life. Turn with me over to Colossians chapter two. Our hope is not in politicians. I don't care who they are. Our hope is not in some philosophy, okay? The scriptures are clear. Our hope is to be in the Lord. Our faith is to be in him. Just like we trusted him to get us to heaven, we are to trust him every day as we live our lives. As a matter of fact, there's a great hymn of the faith. Our hope is in the Lord. Let me just, uh, uh, you won't see these, these words up there, but you may already know them. Listen to these lyrics of this hymn. My hope is in the Lord who gave himself for me and paid the price of all my sin on Calvary. For me, he died. For me, he lives. And everlasting life and light, he freely gives. Verse two, no merit of my own, his anger to suppress. In other words, there's nothing I could do to suppress the wrath of God. My only hope is found in Jesus' righteousness. And now for me, he stands before the father's throne. He shows his wounded hands and names me as his own. Wow. His grace has planned it all. Tis mine but to believe and recognize his work of love and Christ receive. For me, he died. For me, he lives. And everlasting life and light, he freely gives. My hope is supposed to be focused on him. The one who died for me. And yes, I have eternal life. But folks, here's the truth of it. If God can take care of my eternity problem, can he not take care of my daily problems? Yes, he can. The man who led me to Christ, he kind of put it this way. You know, there I was in, I was in Bible college and we needed to hear this as Bible college students because we basically lived in sub-poverty working our way through school. And he said, listen, if God can take care of your eternity, he can certainly provide a hamburger. Yes, he can. Yes, he does. So why the turmoil? It's because we get our eyes off the Lord. We get our eyes on the wrong thing. Colossians 2, 6, it says, as you have therefore received Christ Jesus, the Lord, how'd you receive him? By faith in his word. His word taught you the truth and you put your faith in him. As you have therefore received Christ Jesus, the Lord, so walk ye in him, rooted and built up in him and established in the faith as you have been taught, abounding therein with thanksgiving. What is the faith? The faith is what the Bible says. The faith, the faith is what the Bible says. This is the faith. So what do we need to do? We need it to be rooted and built up in him and established in the faith. We receive peace through the pages of scripture. 
You might say, well, you know, I read in the morning, but it's not 45 minutes later that I'm freaked out again and I'm stressed out and I'm, I'm in turmoil. Well, what do you need to do? You need to go back. You need to go back to the word. Get back in there. You might say, well, I can't just carry my Bible around with me all day. Okay, fine. Do you have a smartphone? You probably do. Put it on there. There's all kinds of apps where you can be reading it on there. You can carry it, find verses that help you, write them down on little three by five cards. Remember three by five cards? They're still around. Write it on there, carry it in your pocket. It's easy, it's light. They're as thin as can be. And they're not big and you can carry Bible verses around and you get stressed out. You just look at it, memorize it, think about it, meditate on it, okay? Parse it in your mind, focus on those words there and you will find when you are focused on those truths, you won't be in turmoil. You're focused on the truth of God. It'll give you peace. It's one thing to have peace with God. It's another thing to have the peace of God. Turn with me to John 14. I want to show you something. We learned this a while back at family camp, and I think it's one of the most profound things we can ever understand. John, the Gospel of John, chapter 14. John, chapter 14. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ the Savior, we live in a wonderful day and age, the age of grace, the church age today. And the Holy Spirit... Jesus, see, Jesus had not sent the Holy Spirit yet in John 14, but he talked about what the Holy Spirit would bring with him when he came. Now listen, follow me. When you put your faith in Jesus Christ the Savior in this time period in which we live today, this church age, when you put your faith in Christ, the moment you did, you received the Holy Spirit. He lives within your body. Your body is, the Bible says, the temple of the Holy Spirit. He lives within us. All believers have him. And look what Jesus said about when he would come. John 14, 26, Jesus said, but the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance, whatsoever I have said unto you. Now watch this. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give unto you, not as the world giveth, give I unto you. Let not your heart be troubled, neither let it be afraid. Now there's a link between verse 27 and 26, because peace is linked to comfort. And what is the great names of the Holy Spirit? He's the comforter. He's the comforter. Here's the key point. If I am not experiencing peace in my life, I am not recognizing the Holy Spirit's presence in my life. He's God Almighty. Neither am I yielded to him. Why do you say that? You might might say, well, pastor, how do you know uh, what's going on in me? Here's how I know, folks. If we are not experiencing peace as Christians, and I speak this to myself as well, I am not walking by faith if I'm not experiencing that peace. Why? Because I have the Holy Spirit inside of me and his ministry is one of the ministries of the Spirit in the life of the Christian is to bring comfort. So if I am not having comfort, something's not quite right. I'm not saying we're in gross sin or whatever. I'm just saying something's not right. I'm not thinking, I'm not focusing the way I should. You want further proof of that? Galatians chapter five, verse 22. 
The fruit of the Spirit, it talks about the fruit of the Spirit. Now, what is the fruit of the Spirit? It is the fruit. It is the manifestation. It is the results that will come in the life of a believer who's walking by faith in the Lord. The fruit of the Spirit. And it's very interesting, the third one mentioned. Look at it, Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. What's the next one? Peace. If the Holy Spirit's in control, that's what it's saying. If the Holy Spirit's in control, I will be experiencing peace. So is your life in total turmoil as a believer? Friend, I say this as a friend, and I say it because I care about all of us. The Holy Spirit's not in control, at least not right now, if that's what you're experiencing, that turmoil. You might say, well, that's just so judgmental. No, I'm trying to help. I'm not trying to hurt. See, I can rest in him. Isn't that a beautiful word, rest? I can rest in him knowing that peace is one of the reasons he was given to me, is to give me peace and to comfort. And so my eyes need to be on the Lord, not on everything going on. He has everything under control, by the way. Did we hear that? God has everything under control. Might say, well, then why is everything out of control? Now, that's just what we see. Here's the truth of it God is everything under control. He knows what he's doing, and we don't know how he's moving, but we know he is. This is very important. So, for the believer, and we've been talking about inner peace, here's the last thing I want to say on this before we move on to outer peace. Turn off the news and open your Bible, okay? Turn off the news and open your Bible. I can be a victim of this just like everybody else. I've been experiencing so much peace recently, and and this week for a few minutes, we turned on, watched a a little bit of news, and, and just within five minutes, I could feel the anxiety and the anger and the frustration rising. It's like, why am I doing this? I said, let's turn this off, and we turned it off, and Oh, things go back down again. You're laughing because you know exactly what I'm talking about. It's the same for you. Folks, we're not talking about live in ignorance of what's going on in the world. We're not talking about that. What we're talking about is do not allow yourself to get all agitated and messed up over this because ultimately, as we have learned in our prophecy series that we just got done with, God is in control. He's going to have his way. We may not see it in our lives, but it's coming, which leads us to our second point, and it's outer peace. This has to do with public life. The inner peace had to do with a private, personal walk with Christ. This has to do with our public life. Listen, whether President Trump remains the president or Joe Biden becomes president, God has given us key commands he wants us to follow as we live on this planet as believers. Okay? This is serious. What's the first one? Well, turn with me over to 1 Timothy chapter 2. You know what part of our problem is? We are so used to everything being settled in an instant. Okay, here's the problem, especially guys. Guys are this way. Here's the problem, here's the solution. Done, walk away, it's over. Yeah, but you know what? 
We see the problems, we keep trying to apply solutions and it doesn't get done. And the problems are still there. And they don't seem to be going away. And they seem sometimes to be getting worse. I can tell you this according to the word of God. God is active and working in the governments of the world as we speak. He is not asleep at the wheel. He is bringing his plan for the ages about. You might say, well, I wish I understood it. He has no obligation to show it to you or me or give me explanation. He's doing it, though, because his word says he's doing it. 1 Timothy chapter 2 and verse 1. So what do we do? This issue of how can we have outer peace? If there's going to be peace around us, not inner peace, but peace around us, how's it going to come about? Well, we have some responsibilities as Christians, and I think these are key. And and can I say this today? As I share these responsibilities with you, they are what you can do, and they're pretty much all you can do. So if you've trusted Christ as Savior, you have a home in heaven, apply these principles we're going to look at right now, live out these things, and just let God take care of it, and don't worry about it. Okay? Quit worrying about it. The first one is this. Pray for the government authority. Pray. Pray. You Christians, just pray. Just pray. You know, man, we need to take to the streets. We need to do... No, the, Where do you see that in the Bible for a Christian? Where do you see it? Pray for the government authority. God is active. 1 Timothy 2.1. I exhort therefore that, notice this. Let me misread it. I exhort therefore that once you've done everything you can possibly do and nothing has worked, pray. No. I exhort therefore first of all. First, not last. First, This is important, that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings and even those who think they are, such as the governor in California, for kings and for all that are in authority that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Quiet and peaceable. The idea is that we would live in a peaceful environment, a tranquil environment. You might say, well, we've been praying and it's not happening. So do we abandon the will of God? Do we abandon the way of God? No, we keep at it. We keep at it. Have you ever thought of this? Because we have been faithful and hopefully are faithful in praying for government authority, think about this. If we hadn't been praying for it, what would the world be like? I exhort, therefore, that first of all, supplications, prayers, intercessions, and giving of thanks be made for all men, for kings, and for all that are in authority, that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty. Now, a lot of you weren't here couple Wednesdays ago, but I preached on something from the book of Daniel chapter 4. I just want to briefly touch on it. Go there with me. Daniel chapter 4. See, Daniel lived in a, uh, he was involved in in government, and uh, something very profound is said here in Daniel chapter 4. Interpretation going on. 
And it says in Daniel chapter four, it says this matter, verse 17, this matter is by the decree of the watchers and the demand of by the word of the holy ones to the intent that the living may know, watch this, that the most high God ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will and setteth up over it the basest of men. You see that the most high ruleth in the kingdom of men and giveth it to whomsoever he will. Listen, that phrase is said, basically that exact phrase is said four times in chapter four and five. Four times. You know, when God says something once, it's important. When he says it twice, he really wants us to remember it. He says it four times. Who is running everything? Okay, ultimately, God is allowing things. You might say, well, wait, isn't Satan the God of this world? Yes, he is, but he's on a leash. God will only allow him to do so much. And friends, anything that happens, God ultimately is either allowing it or causing it. Here's the point. I say, well, what if, what if Joe Biden becomes the president, it's lights out, it's the end. It's the end of civilization as we know it. And everything's gonna, all these things. Well, number one, you don't know that, number one. Number two, where does it fit into the plan of God? You might say, well, I don't know, I don't know. I'm all stressed out over this. You know why? Because you think you can do something about it. We ought to be going to the throne of grace and summoning God Almighty, Lord, would you bring right things into our nation? And I said, we've been praying that. I understand that. We need to keep doing it, folks. God commands us to pray for government authority. Go back to 1 Timothy chapter 2. It said, remember that, it said four times in Daniel 4 and 5 that the Lord is the one in control. He's the one. And, and other places in the Bible, God is the one who promotes. God is the one who brings down. God is the one who puts certain ones in office. God is the one that takes them out of office. Has been said many times, and it is true. People get the government they deserve. Did you hear that? People get the government they deserve. 1 Timothy 2, verse 3, by the way, is not divorced from 1 Timothy 2, 1 and 2. We're supposed to be praying for government leadership that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and honesty, for this is good and acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who will have all men to be saved and to come into the knowledge of the truth. For there is one God and one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus. What do we need to pray for for government leadership? Number one, according to these scriptures, their salvation. Their salvation. Friend, I don't care. Who's in the White House? God wants all people to be saved and come into the knowledge of the truth. Do we understand that? Did you know that God loves Joe Biden? God loves Obama, Barack Obama, just as much as he loves you and me. He wants us all to be saved. He wants all people to be saved. Jesus died for all people. And we need to pray for these men and pray for their salvation. I say, well, what about Kamala Harris? We need to pray for her salvation. So a fat chance of that. Yeah, I think that's what they said about the Apostle Paul too. Also pray that they will recognize that they will answer to God for their actions. 
they are going to answer to God for their actions. Also, we need to be praying that they will make decisions that honor God and his word. Three main things we can pray for. Pray for their salvation. Pray that they will recognize that they're going to answer to God for their actions. And pray that they will make decisions that honor God and his word. If they recognize they're going to give an account, chances are they'll make better decisions, right? Now, you know the sad thing? What I just read and those three things, most of us won't do it. We won't do it. We'd rather complain about how messed up things are than do what God has told us are the only things that will help. So how to have outer peace? First, pray for the government authority. Secondly, be biblical and godly in the way you live as a Christian. Be biblical and godly in the way you live as a Christian. Be a good testimony and an example of what a believer should be. Folks, we as Christians should be acting, not reacting. We ought to be deeper than reacting. We all do it, by the way. We all do it. Don't react. Act. And along with that, don't be a religious nut. Okay? This is the worst thing a Christian can be. Let's be biblically focused. Let's respond. Let's act properly. Turn with me to Matthew chapter 5 in verse 13. Here's what Jesus said to us. He said, you are the salt of the earth. Salt was seen as a preservative. When we as believers live as we should, we are slowing down the degeneration and collapse of society. I didn't say it's not going to happen. I'm just saying God wants to use you and me as we live our lives faithfully to Jesus Christ, live a good testimony, live the way we're supposed to, manifest Christian character, treat other people the way we should. God is going to slow down the rotting of society. Ye are the salt of the earth. But if the salt have lost its savor, wherewith shall it, the earth, be salted? It is thenceforth good for nothing. The salt is good for nothing but to be cast out and trodden under foot of men. Friend, listen, listen. Let's be salt. Verse 14, ye are the light of the world. A city that is set on a hill cannot be hid. Neither do men light a candle but put it under a bushel and put it under a bushel but under a candlestick and it giveth light to all that are in the house. What does light do? Light shows the way and the truth to those who are in darkness. Light shows the way and the truth to those who are in darkness. Go into a pitch black room. You don't need a big light. You just need a light. One little match can cause many to not stumble and fall. Verse 16, let your light so shine before men that they may see your good works and glorify your Father which is in heaven. Seeing our good works shows the reality of our faith to other people. How can somebody know I'm a Christian? The only way they can know is through my words and through my deeds. It's the only way they can know. They cannot see inside of me. They can't see the Holy Spirit inside of me. He's a spirit. You open me up with a knife. You're not going to dig through and say, oh, there's the Holy Spirit. Part of our good works is sharing the gospel with the lost. For those who believe, they will end up glorifying the Father, right? 
Colossians 4, 5, that's why Colossians says, walk in wisdom towards them that are without or outside the faith. Let your speech be always with grace, seasoned with salt, that you may know how you ought to answer every man. Let us be careful with our words, okay? It's easy to get heated. And I understand where the heat comes from, folks. Listen, we are, we are God-loving, America-loving people. We love our nation. We're concerned about our nation, where it's going. But getting in the face of somebody who disagrees with us and, and wanting to punch them out or call them names or, or get on the internet and start blasting them and all these kind of things, what profit is that? It's not gonna fix it. What's going to fix it are the very things we're looking at. Pray for those in authority. Live a godly testimony as a, as a believer. Be biblical and godly in the way you live. And third, be faithful each day, each day in sharing the gospel and fulfilling the great commission. Jesus Christ is the only hope for mankind. If he is the only hope for mankind, then why aren't we sharing him if he's the only hope? It's easier to complain, that's why, than share the gospel. When a person hears the gospel and puts their faith in Christ, this brings permanent change into a person's life. And it is forever. The world may be falling apart, but the believer doesn't have to fall apart. We have everlasting life with God in heaven and by nature, by the very fact that everlasting life is everlasting, makes it a constant. I have eternal salvation. I'm going to heaven. Jesus Christ is my savior. The Holy Spirit is my permanent possession. I not only have peace with God, I can enjoy the peace of God as I live my life. I can be a tool in the hands of God if I will just yield myself to him and let him use me for his glory. This is how it works. This is how we can have peace in a world of turmoil. Let me ask you this, Christian. During all this freaky time that we've been in this year, 2020, let me ask you this. How many people have you shared the gospel with? How many tracts even have you handed out? How many emails have you sent with internet links to good websites or messages from our church? And I'm not just talking about me, but other messages that are done from this pulpit and in this ministry. How many links have you sent out to share with other people and try to reach them? Those of you who do Facebook, okay, I don't, but those of you who do Facebook, are you using Facebook as a tool to reach others with the gospel? If not, why not? Well, I'm afraid they'll get mad at me. What's more important? By the way, if they get mad at the truth, they get mad at the truth. Don't make it to where they get mad at you, okay? If it's the truth that you carry that they get mad at, that's one thing. If we are belligerent and nasty and insulting, that's another. That should never happen. That should never happen. How many calls have we made? to check up on people, to be a blessing. How much literature have we handed out? Can I tell you this? We have people watching us right now and other people who will listen to us during the week. They are ordering hundreds of booklets from our church to pass out literally all over the world. Those of us who come to this church, when's the last time you passed out a piece of literature from this church? I'm talking about 
Some people have ordered thousands of pieces of literature from our church to hand out. Why? Because they understand the only hope for the world is Jesus Christ. It's what it's about. I'm not saying these things to shame us. I'm saying this is a reality check for us. We want a peaceful world to live in? Who's the Prince of Peace? Jesus. Doesn't matter who's in the White House. They can't do it. There will be no peace until the Prince of Peace. Mark 16, 15, and he said unto them, go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. 2 Corinthians 5, 19 through 21 talks about that we are ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador is somebody who represents the leader of another nation, another world, or another nation rather, another country. And we are there representing them and bringing the message of that leader to the foreign land. Guess what? That's exactly what we're doing. This world is not our home. Our citizenship is in heaven. We represent the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords. He has a, he has a message for the world and that is our responsibility to do that. So if we want peace around us, that begins with the gospel. Turn with me to 2 Peter chapter 2. Here's a question because this comes up after a message like this. What if our obedience doesn't change the downward spiral of our country or even the world? What if our obedience doesn't change it? Well, and I don't mean this lightly, we have done what we could. Do you understand that? We've done what we could. Let me show an example of somebody who was incredibly faithful and yet the world around him was incredibly rotten. His name is Noah. Second Peter 2, 4. For if God spared not the angel that sinned, but cast them down into hell and delivered them into chains of darkness to reserved unto judgment and spared not the old world, but saved Noah, the eighth person, a preacher of righteousness, bringing in the flood upon the world of the ungodly. Noah preached... Noah preached, and he had the biggest object lesson you could ever imagine. This massive ship. Noah preached for 120 years. Do you get that? How much fruit? Well, only eight people got on the ark. Was it worth it? Of course it was worth it. Why? He was faithful to God. That's why. There wouldn't have been eight on there if he wouldn't have been faithful. See, we cannot make people believe what we must give them an opportunity to believe. That's our job, okay? One last verse, John 16. John chapter 16, verse 33. By the way, this would be a good one to memorize. It says in verse 33, Jesus is speaking again. He says, these things I have spoken unto you that in me you might have peace. In the world ye shall have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I have overcome the world. You're in Christ. You're in Christ. If you have not trusted Jesus Christ the Savior, I want to challenge you to put your faith in him today. Friend, you'll have no peace until you put your faith in Christ. Let's all bow in prayer, shall we? Well, friends, that concludes this edition of Voice of Assurance. Thanks so much for listening. And would you share this ministry with a friend? To contact us or learn more about our ministry, please visit 
www.northlandchurch.com. Your prayers and support for this ministry are greatly appreciated. Thank you so much, and God bless you.